Alexander Stafford is the Conservative Member of Parliament for Rother Valley and Chairman of the All-Party Parliamentary Group on ESG. In Parliament, Alexander consistently champions the green recovery, having previously worked for both the World Wildlife Fund and Shell. In addition to his role as Chairman of the APPG on ESG, he's also a member of the Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Select Committee, Vice Chair of the APPG on Hydrogen, and Vice Chair of the APPG for Critical Minerals. A leading voice for the role of ESG in Britain's drive to reach net zero and to level up communities across the country, Alexander established the APPG on ESG earlier this year to further the understanding, implementation and assessment of its principles among British businesses, highlighting the value of a holistic adoption at a strategic level. So Alexander, welcome and thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. That last bit about establishing the APPG for businesses, how well established is ESG awareness amongst MPs, would you say? ESG as a sort of discipline is not as well talked about or known as it should be or could be. And that's one of the main reasons I founded ESG. There's different groups looking at things like the environment, whether it's net zero, uh, corporate governance. But the whole point of ESG is bringing all those strands together in a particular way so that business and commerce can actually look at it. And we know, I know from my private sector experience, that this really is a sort of hot topic issue across all, level, all, all businesses now. Mm-hmm. So by finding this group, it really helps to bring forward this thinking, both to upskill uh, parliamentarians to understand that this is a huge issue, mm-hmm. but also to actually help businesses understand what is best practice and how to move forward to improve businesses for the consumer, the shareholders and everyone alike. Just in case um, somebody listening to this podcast, and I suspect there will be many, don't know what an APPG is, just explain that as well, if you wouldn't mind. It stands for an all-party parliamentary group. So these are official groups from parliament, but they're more uh, relaxed groups. So unlike a select committee, which has a state function, a legislative function, uh, which has physical powers, the all-party parliamentary groups are groups where MPs from across the spectrum, and it's very important, there has to be a cross-party organisation, basically, come together to discuss, to forward, to help thinking on a particular topic, issue, or country. So, And, and there's a whole variety of groups, everything from uh, St George's Day, obviously, to like <laughs> all-party group for France, to French issues. So this is the first time this group has been forwarded, uh, formed, to help actually businesses and parliamentarians come together to talk about this topic and realise we need to actually have a better system of frameworks and metrics to improve society, basically. So is that that kind of led on to my second question, which was going to be, you know, what do you plan to achieve with the APPG on ESG? Have you have you got any main objective other than just, just to carry on the discourse? Well, no, discourse is only a part of it, only a small part of it. So, for instance, uh, very shortly, we are hosting the pension minister, uh, Guy Oppen MP, and he'll talk about ESG best practice and the benefits of ESG to investors, particularly for pension funds. Because we've got to realise if pension funds are focused on making investments, which are sort of carbon neutral, ESG, combat climate change, uh, we, we can really get them to unlock hundreds of millions of pounds uh, and will help to contribute to a culture chain for the environment and corporate governance. It's clear that there's a lot of money out there, frankly, in pension funds and across the sector who want to be invested in, for want of better, 
good companies. But at the moment, no one really knows what a good company is. We've got things like the SDGs, and a lot of companies look at SDGs. But if you're very good, let's say, on human trafficking or human slavery, but actually your carbon footprint is atrocious, are you really a good company? And, and vice versa. So ESG really helps the sector and people understand what is a, a good company. Is a company ethical? Is it doing well? And then unlocking this, this money. Because what we're hearing is investors more and more want to invest in good companies, responsible companies. And this really will help look at different metrics, look at what's best practice and help push forward the, the idea that we need to actually have good companies working with good governance to unlock investment, help consumers and move us to that low carbon, better world we all want. So on, on that low carbon issue, do you think how important uh, do you think COP26 is going to be um, in Glasgow this year? And do you think um, ESG will be on the agenda there? Oh, well, first of all, COP26 is a huge opportunity for the UK well, to, to lead the world in climate action, but also to stake our claim in the UK as leaders in climate, but also ESG and the like. And that's what I'm, I'm constantly wanting to talk about. It's not just about uh, carbon and uh, climate change in isolation. Even if you're a company that is doing great things when you're lowering your carbon footprint, it doesn't mean you're a good company. And by, by really using COP as that really big hook, because I know the government is, is key to actually leverage as much as possible from it can really bring esg to the forefront and i know as my main conversation with the government that they really want esg to be an integral part of cop and get people to that wider thinking so how would you rate um the uk's progress towards net zero then um do you know how we compare with other g7 countries i dare say that's going to be on cop 26's agenda yeah, well, I think the government, this government has made huge strides, uh, as we have seen recently, with uh, climate change net zero. It's clear this government wants to be, and I believe is, the greenest government that we have had in the UK. And and this is, the ambition is clearly there. There have been several policy announcements which have excited me over the past year. I mean, the government's work on the power sector has been most impressive. Uh, and in the recent energy government energy white paper, the government has promised to install 40 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030, including one gigawatt of offshore floating wind. Uh, it's going to hold the next contract for difference auction in 2021, and have at least one power, power plant with CCUS operating by 2030. So it's quite ambitious what they're doing. But it doesn't stop there. The, recently in this this year, the government's and the Prime Minister's 10-point plan has really promised to deliver more, like five gigawatts of low-carbon hydrogen. But they're focusing on things like electric vehicles, public transportation, jet zero, carbon capture and green finance. So it really is a government with ambition. And when it comes to comparison with other G7, I don't think any other country comes close to our ambitions. Ambition. Yes, some countries are beating us on, let's say, what they're promising on hydrogen at the moment. But across the breadth of everything, we have the most uh, comprehensive ambition. We just need to make sure we fulfill that, that great ambition we've got. Do you see the UK taking a lead in the development of ESG globally, or do you think it's just something we have to do in collaboration with our other um, country partners in the G, say, 20? Yeah, well, first of all, anything when you talk about this, we can't be seen in isolation. We have to work with our partners. We have to work with our allies. We have to work with people, frankly, we don't agree with. But can the UK be a world leader in ESG? Yes, and it could be. We've got to remember London is the financial capital of the world. There is a lot of investment. There is a lot of pension funds. There are a lot of investors who want to see best practice. We have some of the best court systems in the world where a lot of legal disputes, corporate disputes come to London to argue their cases. They come here especially to do that. So we are in a unique position to have the impact on companies and really help them 
help them become better companies and be better corporate citizens. And to me, that is what's incredibly important and why ESG is so important. But it's not just about making companies become better corporate citizens, like I said, but it's also about delivering those values to the, the shareholders and the stakeholders. Because by uh, we're clearly seeing consumers, whatever you define a consumer as, wants a better company. They want to invest, they want to buy, they want to work with better companies. So if companies improve their standards, more people are going to work with them and that will create a better financial playing field for everyone. So this will have a huge impact on our markets, on our goods and on our services. So related to that, we, we, we hear of ambitious, these ambitious targets being planned mm. and the need for tangible changes at COP26. But how can the UK government's ambitions be effectively balanced against the need for the UK to be competitive, especially if we have, say, the ambition to go further and faster than any other major economies? Mm. Something has to give, surely. Well, the ESG and sort of business productive, productivity and profit are not mutually exclusive. And that's what's often misunderstood about ESG and is what my APPG aims to spell. E ESG is not just about a company's impact on the world, but the world's impact and the consumer's impact on a company. ESG will make companies more resilient and will protect future business operations. And this is what's resonating in the market. It's not about value. It's about value, not values necessarily. And ESG will unlock opportunities for business, and that is how we get them on board. ESG and better governance of climate change will lead to more profitable companies. It's a, it's a clear link. And this is what clearly we're hearing again and again. And I wouldn't be surprised in sort of five years time, if not that, on the board of every single FTSE 100 company, there will be a board member responsible for ESG. It is that important. Because at the moment, it's so disparate, but it is crystallizing and we need to be there ahead of the curve to actually help companies go this way so so for many organizations then just thinking about that a, a little bit more detail the the esg strategy one of the, the outcomes of, the, of having a strategy is that you produce an esg report um we've got a number of esg reports um on the uh, the archive or the showcase as we call it um on, on our website um michelle's is on there and and so you know having been a an executive at shell how would you compare shell's ESG reports, say, with Microsoft's, because one's an extracting industry and the other, you know, is by definition a much more clean organisation. How can you therefore compare, you know, a banana with an apple? Well, the problem is that all companies are, all companies are different, clearly, and do different things. However, all companies should be looking at all aspects of the ESG. And that goes back to one of my comments about the SDGs. Companies are clearly picking and choosing whichever SDGs they benefit from and then telling the world and their, their shareholders they are a good company. Every single company, I would argue and believe, should be looking at climate change. Every single, and it affects them. Every single company, if you employ people, which you do, should be looking at human slavery, water pollution, and it needs to come together. And that is why it's so important to have ESG is a separate discipline so that there can be somebody in charge of bringing it all together. But at the moment, we often have companies who have a, uh, you know, the, the, lawyer, the lawyers are dealing with uh, this human rights aspect of it. You've got uh, a climate enthusiast uh, dealing with this carbon issue, but there's no one really bringing it together. And uh, you'd mentioned two, two quite disparate companies working on things. And that is a problem. Every, because of the metrics are so varied at the moment, it's very hard to compare two different companies. But with bringing ESG more mainstream and on the board, we want to be able to be able to compare com companies which on the surface look quite different. But actually, if they're good and good corporate companies, you can say, well, actually, overall, which company is better, which company needs improvement and where does it need improvement? So you can compare. And that is the, the beauty and the necessity of ESG. So you can compare 
companies which you think might be quite different, but actually underlying, they still deal with people, they still produce something, and they still sell something and have an impact on this world. That is the most important thing. So what would you suggest um, senior leadership teams should be thinking about and, and what should directors be investing, you know, investigating for their companies, whether it be um, climate change or their impact on society or even the way they're corporately governed? What would you recommend? Well, you mentioned directors. So if directors do not care about it, frankly, that they should, because I this actually came up in discussion I had recently with uh, leading accountancy firms not that long ago. And the conclusion with these leading accountancy firms was that the directors that ignore ESG and climate change do so at their peril. If they do ignore it, frankly, they said they will become extinct. And that's their words, not mine. They'll either be pushed out of the role themselves for someone who has the best knowledge or the companies themselves will go out of business. And being in the extraction or energy sectors has nothing really to do with it. It's, there's much wider than that and involves all companies at every stage of the supply chain. Customers and consumers want to see companies take environmentally conscious decisions. But that also means investors want to see that as well. And that is why I very much said, like, in five years' time, there'll be an ESG person responsible for ESG on every board of every company. Because we're seeing it again and again when investors and consumers and customers make decisions. They want to invest in what's right. That is where the money is going. And any company that doesn't embrace this and make changes, frankly, will die. And those that don't do it will survive. Because if you're dealing with two companies which produce very similar uh, projects, very similar uh, products and very, very similar way of doing things, and and there's one which is a good, a good ESG rating, one which is bad ESG rating, who would you go to if you're an investor? You'd go with the one with the, the better ESG rating, the best understanding of it, because that's how you justify your decision. And if you can't justify it, your company will go to the wall. One question I often ask um, uh, interviewees on on this podcast is, at the moment, of course, ESGs um, a strategy that's been driven by the investment community to assess you know, the performance of, of listed companies. But do you think all organisations then, if ESG is so, poor, so important, do you think every senior leadership team should have an ESG strategy, whether they're, for example, a school or a university or, or even the corner shop? Ultimately, we need the, sort of the, the, the big businesses, frankly, the ones who can afford at the moment to, to lead the way. And that is very important. But we also need to upskill more people. And I think ultimately, there should be somebody responsible across the board looking at ESG metrics. But quite a big issue with this is trying to unlock uh, investment and make companies do well. So I think it'd be great to have ESG embedded, not just in companies, but in the public sector as well, and any companies that can do it. Because the consumers want to work want to work with better companies, want to buy with better companies, and they will make that decision. And those companies that don't adapt, those organisations that don't adapt, even the public sector, people make their choice and take their custom business elsewhere. So do you think this can be done on the basis of light regulation rather than, I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're talking from a legislative body, um, mm. working for, for a party that is, is has a reputation for as light a government as possible, and yet... This surely is an area where we do need a regulator, isn't it? We do need to actually steer and guide people in terms of what best practice looks like. Well, there does need to be that sort of guidance. I think that is important. At the moment, there's many different ESG metrics out there mm. and people are picking and choosing. And the, the private sector hasn't really coalesced fully around what they are understand by ESG. And that, I think, is really where politicians... Uh, both in the UK Parliament, but in the EU and America, really can come to the fore. They can help the private sector look at different metrics, understand the metrics, and actually work out what is best for the various companies. So although I don't want any legislation changes at the moment, 
I don't think we should rule out anything, especially if some companies or some sectors are more sluggish than others. We should be seeing this as an opportunity to unlock value across the supply chain. And, and because obviously we're fans of ESG on the foundation, as you'd expect, um, I was going to ask you probably my last question, just because we are running a little out of time. Uh, what do you see as a commercial advantage for an organisation in going beyond the minimum to address e ESG and, and climate change? Well, 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 clearly, as I said, this is where the investors, the customers, consumers, they want. They want companies to do more than the average. All the polling, all the investors, all my conversations, both with from private equity to pension funds, say, there are people there who want their money to do good for this world. Times have changed. People want when they invest, even if they put it in a bank account nowadays, they want it to go to uh, renewable funds when they invest in shares and, and the like. They want to work and invest in good companies. It will unlock a huge amount of investment, unlock a huge amount of goodwill. And also for the UK as well, if we get there further and faster than other parts of the world, as London's a financial capital of the world, we can export these ideas, export these this way of working, which will benefit the whole world and help all business across the globe. Well, we're, we're delighted that you've uh, you've launched an APPG. Good luck uh, next week with the, with the first meeting. I hope we'll be invited to uh, the other ones as well. Um, we, we're going to have to draw this discussion to a close. So thank you, listeners, for listening. Uh, if this is the first ESG Foundation podcast you've heard from us, do check out our podcast channel on YouTube, um, Spotify, and also we're on Apple Play. And there are lots of resources on the ESGfoundation.org website, including this archive of ESG reports that I referenced. Um, do check those out. And if your ESG report, if you've written one, isn't on the archive, let us have a link so that we can do something about that and put it on public display for you. ESG is a fascinating and evolving subject, so I do hope you'll come back again, Alexander. You're always welcome. Thank you very much, Steve, for having me. And in the meantime, dear listener, thank you very much for listening today.